Good to be with you. If you have not been here for a while, I'd like to say something before I speak. You're so quiet. I've been gone uh, for the last couple of Sundays, and because I'm not always here in elevation, some are not always aware of the fact that uh, I have had shingles the last uh, uh, three or four weeks or so. And I know you're looking at me and saying, well, of course, old people like you get shingles. <laughs> I want to let you know that uh, when the word got out that I have shingles, I've heard from people who had shingles when they were in the 20s. 20s. I've heard from people who had shingles when they're 30s. Their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, and I just talked to someone here who's in, I think, close to 80 who have had shingles. So shingles is no longer an old person's disease. And so the reason I bring that up is, well, first of all, I want your sympathy. Uh, but secondly, just to let you know that I have now become an evangelist. I'm a pastor, but now I'm becoming more of an evangelist, and I am an evangelist for the shingles vaccination. If you had chicken pox as a kid, and something younger than any of us in this room probably, then you have shingles. It just hasn't manifested itself yet. And so just like I was just a few weeks ago, I was preaching on Romans 8.28 here, and kind of preaching along, and thought, oh, man, it hurts, oh, it hurts, oh, it hurts. And I thought, oh, I just, uh, you know, ate something wrong. That next week, I'm diagnosed with shingles. I never thought I'd get shingles. And just before that, I was at a dinner or a lunch after a sunny service and sitting next to Michael Wells and his lovely wife, Kelly Wells, the Dr. Kelly Wells. And we were talking about Kaiser and these problems and co-pays and Obamacare. I don't know what all we talked about there. Stuff like that. And so, you know, I was supposed to get shingles. I could have gotten a shingle shot in February, but I didn't do it. And then she said, well, people of your age should probably get shingles shot, the vaccination. I said, no, nah, I'll take my chances. I'll wait. I'll just wait. Two days later, on my birthday, March the 18th, I came down with shingles. Can you believe that? All that to say, beyond just asking for your sympathy, if you've not gotten your shingles vaccination, go tomorrow and get it. Because I was warned, and it was two days later, I got shingles. You've got two days now to work this thing out. So I just want to be an evangelist for the shingles vaccination. But even more importantly than that, there's people all around us who've had chickenpox and have the the virus is just lurking in your spine waiting to erupt. But more importantly, especially this week, there's people all around us that have a virus even worse than that. And the scripture calls it sin. And here's my little spiritual segue, if you will. There is a vaccination for sin. And it's not coming to church. It's not being nagged at by a preacher. It's not being judged and condemned by other Christians. Those aren't vaccinations for sin. Now, some of us go around like it's a vaccination for sin to kind of harass and badger and, and judge and condemn sinners for sinning. And we think we're going to vaccinate you from sin. Those things don't vaccinate people from sin. Only the blood of Jesus is the vaccination for sin. And those of us who have seen the tragedy of what sin can create, just as I now know the pain of what shingles can create, man, how much more should we be an evangelist 
for the vaccination that can truly eradicate sinfulness and sinful behavior. That's what I want to talk about this morning and show you. Now, Matt the Rabbi Davis has been up here the last couple of weeks talking about a very difficult topic, and I'm glad to have him do that so I didn't have to. But it's all about in the past, Romans 9, 10, and 11 on election, predestination, being chosen by God. Why did God choose Jacob but not Esau? How unfair is that? So the whole thing of election and predestination is a challenge for us. I'm going to counterbalance it here this morning. But let me say on the back side of the outline that I have given to you, I tried to jot down a few thoughts that I think could possibly be helpful to balance this whole discussion. Because today we're going to talk about the freedom of us to choose to believe that counterbalances the chosenness of us who do believe. The predestination that God chose us before the foundation of the world to be saved, Ephesians 1. That God elected us and elected the nation of Israel and chose Abraham. He chose these people, the Jewish people, to be His people. They were the first of those who were chosen. So the gospel has gone to them first. And He grafts in the Gentiles. And here we are, but He still has a plan for the nation of Israel yet to this day. So God chose them, but He also gives us freedom of choice to believe. How do you balance the two? Here's the secret. It's true that God has predestined us before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 says that. There's just no quarrel about that. It's clear. It's precise. It's not fuzzy. It's not ambiguous. But it is also true, that choose, uh, true, as we'll see in this passage, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever, anyone, all who call upon, seven billion people in the world, all who call upon the Lord will be saved. So he can choose, of those seven billion, can choose to be believers. And so I think in my mind's eye, well, how can it be true that God predestines and chooses us but it also is that it is my free choice to believe. How can both things be equally true? Because in my mind, it doesn't make any sense. And so I'm here to give you some freedom. If in your mind, and you've been thinking about some of these things, if in your mind it's, you say to yourself, it doesn't make sense, it can't both be true, it's got to be one or the other, because it doesn't make sense. If it doesn't make sense, then you're probably right where you need to be. Because it doesn't make sense to people who understand the two sides of that same coin of when salvation occurs in a person's life. And if it does make sense, you probably not understand it as correctly as you should be. Because there is a rustling match. Now let's look at this passage. Some of this have come to light. In Romans chapter 10 we read, Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation, for these who need to be saved, whether Jew or Gentile. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. So he just talked about, I have chosen some people to be my children. Now he's talking about, wait a second, I'm praying for them to be saved. Well, well if they've been chosen, why does he even, even need to be praying? Well, of course he needs to be praying. It's just for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. And so I want to talk about beautiful feet and the feet that go out are these truths. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And so that's where Paul is going to land with us. But my heart's desire is that that would be a life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I brought together with me a bag here. And these are some things to help illustrate the very feet that he is talking about here. That my heart's desire is that people be saved if I have beautiful feet. I brought these along. These are my loafers. 
uh, late at night after a hard day work, I sit down with a cigar, a little thing of whiskey, and put these on, and it really is, it's so relaxing for me. I don't do that, but if you want to quarrel with me, it's dmitchell at carverylife.org. I don't, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't, even, I don't even date a girl that does. These are my work shoes. So when I'm out there in the yard pulling weeds and all that kind of stuff, bought these at REI half price on their half, half price uh, sale, uh, and uh, they are the um, uh, North Face. I wish I could wear these shoes every single day of my life. These are so comfortable. Love them. And then as I look into my little bag of goodies, I pull out these. Now, when I was a kid, we called these thongs. Isn't it interesting how words change? And I don't know when they became flip-flops, but these are my thong flip-flops. And so when I'm out, you know, outside washing a car, flip-flops, they go on feet. And then occasionally go out there. I used to be able to run. I can't run anymore because I'm old. And so we got these uh, tennis shoes, and I got a titanium knee, and it has a way of curtailing activities. And then for everyday shoes, I like to kick around in these things and just sort of wear them, and they go on my feet as well. And then last of all, I've got the Harley-Davidson steel-toed boots. So when I'm out there uh, kicking the tires of motorcycles with my steel-toed boots, these are the babies that I wear. And so wherever I go, my feet are well taken care of in all these shoes. And I want to come back to these shoes in just a minute. But I just wanted you to understand that we're all about the feet today. We want these feet to be beautiful because we have a heart's desire that people become saved. And the beautiful feet that I want to show you on the screen, anybody know who these are? These are? They're not mine. Mother Teresa, somebody said it. Mother Teresa's feet. Mother Teresa, the saint of a woman who would go out there and sacrifice everything. The story is told that when orphans needed shoes and a batch of shoes would arrive, all the orphans' kids would get all the best shoes, the shoes that fit the best. And then she would take what's ever left over, and often they were too small or didn't fit because they were for kids. But she would wear those shoes, and as a result, her feet became deformed. Now, if you're a podiatrist and you look at that, you say, oh, my goodness, we've got problems. But when God looks at feet like that, he says, those are, those are beautiful. Because all that she did is to bring the love of Christ to children in need, poor in need, that become beautiful feet when they're part of the good news of good things. I want us to be people who have beautiful feet, whatever shoes you may be wearing. And those shoes and those feet begin, as I just read in that passage, with this, with my heart. I talk about the heart, I'm going to talk about the mind, I'm going to talk about the mouth, I'm going to talk, come back to the feet. But my heart needs to have a love and an understanding for the people that need salvation. And that's what I just read in Romans 10, 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. I want us, I want to have the kind of heart whose heart's desire is for those that I see who are still in sin, have not been vaccinated by the blood of Jesus, they're still in sin and doing sinful things. I want my heart's desire for them to be saved, to be loved to be cared for, not to be judged, not to be condemned, not to be harassed, and not to be alienated from the church. I want them to be saved. And so the Apostle Paul clearly states at the outset, I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile, he's preaching to the both audiences there, 
My heart's desire is for you. And so we need to have a heart that is prayerfully praying for those that need Jesus. And I hope you have a list of people that you pray for regularly because your heart's desire is for them to be saved. I feel that sometimes, and this is just me, churches like ours, the so-called evangelical church, I fear that sometimes our heart is better known for its condemnation and judgment of certain behavior and not so much of my heart's desire for life transformation and salvation for those that need Jesus. We need to have a heart like that. And then he goes on to say this. In 2 and 3, he says, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul is identifying a problem with the people that he was writing to, whether they're Jew or they're Gentile. He reaches out to them. They have a zeal for God. There's a lot of people who have a zeal for God for today, the God that they understand the God to be. But the problem is it's not in accordance with knowledge. The word for knowledge there is a word that means a working experiential relationship with God. He says they don't have that. They have a zeal about God, about spiritual things, but they don't have a working relationship, so they don't understand what we're talking about. And then he goes on to say, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. There are people that have their own kind of righteousness, not God's righteousness, so they try to seek their own, to establish their own. So we have a kind of a humanistic moralistic relativism where people are determining what's sin and what isn't sin and what behavior is acceptable what behavior is not acceptable so we're in a lifestyle right now where people are picking and choosing seeking to establish their own kind of righteousness and that makes it harder for us because it used to have very fixed targets of what's wrong now they are moving targets but it doesn't matter either way whether we have a fixed target of these are all the sins, or it's a moving target, these no longer are sins, doesn't matter, shouldn't matter. Because where are we going to go with this? Because what Paul the Apostle wants us to understand is that you need to pray for these, peace, these people's salvation, including ourselves. We need to understand their real spiritual need. Their real spiritual need is says they have a zeal for God, but it lacks knowledge. They lack an understanding of God's righteousness, but they have established their own righteousness. My job is to understand that so that I can come along and be an effective witness for the cause of Jesus Christ. Because there's a lot of people doing a lot of damage for the name of Jesus. Because they don't get that. They don't understand the need that's out there. Let me just kind of do a little excursion off of that. There's a belief system out there called moralism. Moralism is where people like me go to people who have a life of sin, and I go to them and say that that, ba- that behavior ought not to be. I want to stop that behavior. I want to moralistically give you the rules and the regulations for how that behavior should cease to exist. Back in Jesus' day, the Pharisees came up with 613 ways to stop certain behavior they didn't believe in. Today, we have new ways of doing that. So whether it's legislation or picketing or writing letters or 
words of condemnation and judgment or, or refusing to be with certain people because their behavior is the behavior that I am told is not right behavior. So I want to moralistically change that behavior. So we tell them whether it's the moving target of changing definitions of sin or the fixed target of those things that are clearly sin, it doesn't matter because we are moralistically going to help you change your behavior. And God never has called us to change people's behaviors because we can't. Even so, let me go this far, and I said it in the first hour, so some of you are going to disagree with me on this. But hang in there with me. Even to the point, let's get specific, of homosexual marriages. That's a deal with us, okay? There is a photographer who refused to take the pictures of a homosexual wedding and now has been sued. There is a baker that was asked to bake a cake for a homosexual marriage and refused to do so as being sued. And both of them declined to do it because it was compromising their faith. Now, a lot of people would say, yeah, that's, that makes sense to me. Let me shed a different angle of light on that. And here's where you may or may not agree with me, but here's a principle. What I love about Jesus is that Jesus would engage with sinners without endorsing sinful behavior. Jesus engages with sinners without endorsing sinful behavior. I love that posture of Christ. Woman at the well. Six men. Sexual addict. I don't know what is her problem, but big problems. Engaged, but did not endorse. Jesus is caught eating with and drinking with sinners. The Pharisees got all over him. He says, I didn't, I went to them because they're the ones that need to follow me. So he would engage but not endorse. So it got me thinking, and that's a terrible thing sometimes. If I was that baker, I'd say, Lord, this couple that has come to me for their homosexual marriage, hmm. as a pastor, I couldn't officiate at the wedding like that because that feels like endorsement. But if they came to me and said, you know what? You're a really good baker. We love your cakes. We shop here frequently. Your muffins are great. So, better than Costco. So we, we so like your bakery that we'd like to have you bake the cake for us. And that's good. You got a special event, birthday, something coming? No, we're, we're getting married. Oh, so immediately in my mind, oh, oh, brother. And I think to myself, well, wait a second. Are they sinners? Yeah. Should they get married? No. Do they need Jesus? Yes. Do I have Jesus? Yes. Do I need to let them see Jesus? Yes. And I may think to myself, and this is where you can, you may disagree with me. God bless you, that's okay. But I may think, if my business is to help me have a paycheck, then that's one thing. If my business is to help me choose what sinners I'll serve, that's another thing. 
But if my business is to magnify and glorify the name of God by working as hard as I can to do the very best I can because I believe that as I work hard, it honors the name of Jesus because it portrays me as one who works hard for Him. I do it as unto the Lord. I don't care what you do with my product. I want you to know that I love you because Christ loves you and here's the best cake I could ever make for you. I'd like to continue to have this relationship with you. I want you to keep coming back to my bakery. Because I love Jesus. I'd love for you to love him as much as I do. I think to myself, is that engaging only? Or is that engaging and endorsing? For some of you, that might be endorsing. For me, I'm thinking, man, what an opportunity. For me to understand the real spiritual need. My calling is not to change homosexuals. My calling is to not prevent every homosexual marriage. My calling is simply to be Jesus and let Jesus change their lives. And if not me, then who? Who? My nephew is a homosexual. If he asked me to do his wedding, couldn't do it. But if he invited me to attend his wedding, I'd love to have a relationship with him where he can see Jesus. And my heart's desire is for his salvation. Because if I don't engage with them, who will? So that brings to the second point, my mind. As I engage and I don't live in moralism where I'm going to change their behavior so they can then be as good as I think they should be. No, my desire is in my mind to have a clear content of the gospel of Jesus Christ where I keep the faith in Jesus' righteousness, not my works, the constant salvation message. That's where Paul goes next. In verse 4, after he says, My heart's desires for these who have a zeal for God, but they don't have a knowledge of God. They don't receive God's righteousness, but they've created their own kind of righteousness vis-a-vis the homosexual marriage. So therefore, my heart's desire is to see them saved. So what do I do with these folks that need Jesus? I bring them to Jesus, for it says in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus is the one who brings the righteousness to people who need His righteousness. I can't do that. I don't care how many laws I passed or how many people I kick out of my bakery. I can't change their behavior. But I know that Jesus can. So I want to bring Jesus to them in whatever form or fashion it is, whether it's through baking a cake or riding a bike or just sitting down at lunch with a coworker, Because Christ is the end of the law. Christ completes the law of righteousness. Christ does it. I can't moralistically change anyone, but Jesus sure can. So he goes on to say in verses 6 and 7, But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Kind of a confusing verse. Let me just very simply say that he's quoting from Deuteronomy 30. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses was preaching to the crowd of Israelites just before they go into the promised land. And so he says, as you go into the promised land, here is what you need to understand. You need to understand that if you obey God, He will bless you. If you disobey God, He will curse you. Now that word is very near you. You don't need to go to heaven to find it. You don't need to go to hell to find it. It's right here. I've given it to you. You have it. Complete it. Live it. Carry it with you wherever you go. So Paul takes that 
principle that the word is very near you and right close to you as you go into the promised land. He says the same thing is true about Jesus. He's very near you. You don't have to go to heaven to find him. You don't have to go to hell, the abyss to find him. He's right here. Wherever I go, I've got Jesus. Jesus is with me wherever I go. I don't have to go anywhere to heaven or to hell to find him. He's here. So just make him known because he is the fulfillment of God's righteousness. Whether they get it or not, whether the laws of sin are changing, the laws of sin are firm, they all need Jesus just the same. Let Jesus do the heavy lifting of life transformation. I can't do it. I bring him to Jesus, but it's all up to him. And then when I bring him to Jesus, I need to be very clear on what it means to believe in Jesus. These two words of confess and believe. Notice what he says in verse 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth to Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So I need to confess with the mouth and believe in my heart. Those aren't two things, two steps, two step tangle to get saved. Those are two sides of the same coin of transformation. That in my heart I believe this, but my mouth makes sure and confirms that I confess it. So this word for confess means I agree with God. I agree with what God says, that I am a sinner and I can't change myself. I can't do it. I'm locked into this lifestyle, this behavior. It feels normal. It feels natural. It feels like an inclination. I like to do it. It makes me even feel good when I do certain things that I know that are sinful. But God, I confess that it's wrong. And now I believe that Jesus is the one who has persuaded me and he is the one who will change me. And it's not the preacher, it's not the church, it's not the friend over here. It's Jesus, I am persuaded, who will take my sin from me and transform my heart. Something the Sunday school teacher couldn't do, something the preacher boy next door couldn't do, but Jesus does it. I'm persuaded that Jesus could do that. Believing in Jesus is persuaded that He has died on that cross for my sin to remove that sin from me and impute or give to me His righteousness. And He, he is the end of righteousness. He is the law of righteousness. I can't keep the 613 laws of the Pharisees and I can't keep all the laws that the church of the 21st century has created for people to believe in today. The moralistic laws of today. I can't, I can't keep them all. But I know that Jesus comes and He changes me from the inside out. I believe it in my heart. I will confess it with my mouth. And one of the things I like to ask people, if they believe it in their heart, then I ask for a confession of their mouth and here's one way to do that. If you were to stand before God in heaven and he should say, why did she let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now I'll find out what's in their heart. What would I say to God that says that I should be allowed to go into heaven? If I say, well, I'm still just trying to be good, trying not to sin. Oh, wait, 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 wait. That's not clarity. But if God hears me say, because I have believed in my heart and persuaded that Christ died for my sins, he was buried. He rose again to give me a brand new life. And that's what I would say to God. And I would say, you have confessed with your mouth a truth that you believe in your heart. They both have to be the same. And that's how you affirm that. So there needs to be clarity with the gospel message. 
and clarity in the belief in the heart. And it's so hard. You need to build that relationship so as we communicate, my mouth, my mouth and begins to communicate to all people the good news of Jesus Christ. So the heart's desire is to see people meet Jesus. And so therefore my mind understands what Jesus does and what I cannot do. And I won't try to take over Jesus' job. I'll let Jesus do it. I can't harass and badger and condemn and judge and pick at all the little picayune things I don't like about someone's behavior. So I let Jesus bring the law of righteousness to them at his cost. No copay at his cost, free of charge. That's a beautiful thing. So I want to communicate that. I want people to know that. So I make that known. That's what he says in verses... In chapter 10, verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches, for all who call upon Him, all who call upon Him. It's not for all who are predestined, for all who are chosen, for all who are elect. No, it's anyone. Seven billion people. You call on Jesus. You believe that He died for your sins. You confess that as a truth for you. Bingo. You are transformed and forgiven and cleansed. But we need to be clear with that for all who call upon Him. And it doesn't matter ethnic background, nationality, religion of the past, behaviors. No distinction between any of those. God says all who call upon Him will be saved regardless of who they are and their background. So He says whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let's tell whoever. Let's tell them wherever. Wherever and whoever they need to hear the gospel message. One of the things I do, and I should have brought the shoes. I meant to bring them. I've got these cycling shoes. I love to cycle uh, out uh, um, Santiago Canyon Road. I used to do mountain biking, but got, a tar- got tired of going to the hospital. Uh, and so now I do cycling. So if I get hit, I'll go to a funeral home. Uh, but, uh, sorry. Sort to bring you all down about that. So. But I, and I cycle out there, and there's uh, a couple of guys I kind of uh, connect with uh, pretty regularly because we're kind of on the same routine. And one guy's a big airline pilot. He flies the kind of jets that the Malaysian aircraft, we've all been following that thing, and those big things, he flies that kind of jet over to uh, Shanghai and stuff like that. So we're talking about that. And, and when I first met up with him uh, a few years ago, you know, I was all over telling him about Jesus. I wanted a witness. And I... <laughs> He said, I, I grew up with that other denomination. That's ah, not for me. Not for me. He said, well, next time I... Hey, I've got some literature. Can I give it? No, nah, I don't want your literature. I don't want any of that literature. I don't, I don't want that. Okay. So now we just, we just connect up, and I sort of just love on him. Uh, one of the last times we were together, he got a flat tire. He was going to walk the bike all the way back 10 miles. I said, no, nah, I've got to fix it for you. No, nah, you know, nah, i got a tube. i got the tube out. So I fixed his tire, put it back on. He went 10 feet down the road, and the tube came out, and it blew up. <laughs> he says, you Christians. That's not what he said. He says, i got another tube. Let me fix it again. <laughs> so, so I did. I carried two tubes because I'm that bad. And so, uh, so I put the extra tube in there, and so we went on, and we were, we were all the way. The next day, saw him the next day. He came up to me and said, here's 15 bucks for the tubes. I said, well, it's $20 for the labor. <laughs> Anyways, so I'm trying to, I just said, so I'm trying to love on him. And every time I see him, I saw him yesterday. Every time I see him, I mention him by name to Jesus. Jesus, I've tried to mouth the words, but the heart is not receptive. 
So every time I see him, Lord, my heart's desire is, no, name of my name, is that he would be saved. I don't care what his life is like. I don't, Jesus, save him. Save him. There's another guy I would connect up with out there. And was right along talking about Jesus. Yeah, I said, he said to me, yeah, I'm a born-again believer. I go, wow, that's great. So what church do you go to? He says, I don't go to church. You know, so let me realize, our work is never done. So whoever it is, whoever it is, whoever it is, be the one who is telling whoever. If not you, then who? Because he goes on to say this, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And I kind of turned it around. I need to tell people the gospel so they need to hear this truth so they can believe. And once they do believe, they can call on Jesus. So they need to hear so they can believe so that they can call. That's what he's saying. If they don't hear, how will they ever believe? If they never believe, they'll never call. So I need to be the one who is the mouth who lets them hear so they can believe and then call. And it's not just the mouth, it's the whole life, it's the attitude, it's the posturing, it's the love and the grace, it's the kindness. No one wants to be around angry, bitter, judgmental people. No one wants to be around people like that. But Jesus, this winsome, engaging spirit of His, who would even eat and drink with sinners, wow! Engaging with those who need Jesus is a beautiful thing. In fact, Jesus says... You have beautiful feet when you do that. I can bring with my feet the good news of Christ, as he says. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And remember, remember, even as I talk to my friends out there in San Diego's road, I don't have anything to be ashamed of. It's not something I need to hide. Why? Because it's good news. I go around, I was just preaching to somebody in the lobby just, just moments ago. I was preaching to these guys and said, have you been vaccinated for shingles? And they go, no. Well, you need to go get vaccinated! Well, not quite like that, but something like that. And don't yell it. Don't do what I do. Do as I say, not what I do. But why did I tell them to go out and get vaccinated? It's good news, Right? Isn't it a good thing to not get shingles? Yeah. Is it a good thing to not go to hell? Is that a good thing? Yeah. Is it a good thing that Jesus died for me and I don't have to die for myself? Isn't that a good thing? I was just talking to a couple that was walking out and their granddaughter was saying to them, he said, you know, when I get to heaven, can I say it is finished? And I said, yeah, you can say it is finished. Well, good. I want to say it is finished, but I don't want to have to die on a cross. That's what she said. I said, that's a beautiful thing too. Because someone died on the cross for us. That's good news. That's good news. So when I go out there, and what if I'm wearing my thong, uh, flip-flops? <laughs> my daughters hate me when I say call these thongs. So I call them thongs a lot. But <laughs> when I'm wearing these, I want my feet to be beautiful. Because wherever I wear these, at the beach, by the pool, I want to be known with good feet. If I'm working in the yard and my neighbor comes over and says, how do you get rid of those weeds? How's your grass so green? Why is your grass so brown? <laughs> Why don't you have grass? You know, whatever, whatever my neighbor says to me when I'm working, I want my feet to be beautiful because I've got good news. Good news. And when I'm lounging with my Cuban... 
I'm just trying to keep you interested. I don't... Now you're gonna, somebody's going to write me. Okay. Exercising. Gold's Gym over here, LA Fitness. Man. Are your feet beautiful? Are they beautiful? Because they are if you're making good news of Jesus made. And you want to go out to Cook's Corner with me? You got a Harley? I want my feet to be beautiful when I'm walking through that Cook's Corner bar. And the music is blurring. And I say, God, if you're going to open a door for me for the gospel of Jesus Christ, whatever form or fashion that may be, because clearly these people need Jesus. Just as I need Jesus. So I want our feet to be beautiful. As beautiful as our missionaries. These are Robin Morgans. One of our missionaries has been here. These are her shoes. They hang in Liz Gold's office. They have beautiful feet. Here's some more missionaries I want to show you. Their feet are beautiful. And you and I, when we give to Faith Promise, when you and I pray, when we commit to supporting our missionaries around the world as we just did this last month with our missions conference, Global Reach, these are beautiful feet. They're going to places that you and I can't really get there too well. Some of them are going to places we don't even know about because should they be found out, there will be recrimination against them. I want us, whether we're globally going around the world like the Duns in Ireland, the Coombs in Peru, I want our feet, whatever shoes we happen to be, whatever we're wearing, sports, work, school, play, gyms, golf, cycling. I want our feet to be beautiful. And they will be when I bring the good news because my heart loves them. My mind understands the truth. My mouth is making it known because without hearing it, they can't believe so that my feet carry me there. And I say, God, there they are. It's today you'll open the door for salvation for them. Because I'm here. I'm available. Let's pray for that. Father God, I pray that you would help us to be people with beautiful feet, carrying the good news of good things that Jesus has accomplished for all of us. Help us, Father. Power us. Embolden us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.